uh, as Hugh alluded to, we will be we will continue our as uh, uh, our series through the book of Hebrews. And I have an incredibly difficult chapter. This chapter is reiterating everything that he, that Hugh mentioned last week. Uh, chapter eight um, talks about a summary of the differences between the old covenant and the new covenant. Today, we're going to go through an in-depth process of the new covenant. And as I was going through you know, preparing for this, I asked myself, why is this important to you all? Like, why would this understanding be important to any of us? And uh, uh, what I came out with is that uh, there's uh, a process that was put in place that people reverted back to, and it stopped them from having a, a true connection with God. And my hope is that you can observe parallels with your life and your individual life and find if there's anything that's preventing you from having that direct connection with God. All right? So as you all know, I'm, I'm a father, right? And uh, I have a daughter, and uh, I was getting her ready to, to go with me. We was going to run some errands. And her mom, uh, my, my wife, did her hair the previous night. So, but the next day, it wasn't as laid down as it was the previous day. So I, I, I tried to comb it. I had set in my mind that if it's combed, it's going to look nice, and I'm going to do like a, a father bun. Because I can't do hair, I'm just going to wrap it up. And uh, she, was, she was totally reluctant. And I said, Annika, that's her name. I said, Annika, she's only three. I said, Annika, I said, let me come. She said, no. I said, come on. And we went back and forth maybe six, seven times. And finally, she said, if you put my hair in a bun, I won't look like Rapunzel. <laughs> and as you know, the story of Rapunzel, she had very long hair. And if her hair is in a bun, it won't look long. And right away, I said, oh, I'm so sorry. I apologized to her. I said, you know what? How about we coming straight down so as long as Rapunzel. And right then and there, her angry face turned to like a smile. And I realized, oh, my goodness, my perception of what it should be like was totally different from what it truly is. And if you look around to your left and to your right, behind you and in front of you, you see all different types of hairstyles. In fact, this is how we identify ourselves, right? We all have different hairstyles, and sometimes we'll comb it, or we'll curl it, or we'll flatten it, or we'll get it cut, but each and every single time we do something to our hair is identity that we have, and we have no right to project how your hair should look. I should not tell you how your hair should look, and, and vice versa. Now, with this new uh, understanding of I people identifying with their hair, it would be wrong for me to revert back to the belief that, hey, you should have your hair flattened. You should have your hair curly. I shouldn't project that onto you, okay? And I bring that, I bring that up today because we have a group of people who was exposed to a more grander idea. And yet, despite being exposed to that, they reverted back to a stale, obsolete process, a way of living. Okay? So if you have your Bibles or your apps, I want you to turn to Hebrews 9. Towards the back of your, the, the Bible, Hebrews 9. And uh, for those that, I know I was joining a live stream in the past, on my cell phone, so I couldn't actually turn to it to the, the scriptures. 
on my cell phone, so I helped you out today, and I added all the scriptures uh, from today, from today's chapter. So we're going to go through the scriptures. Uh, we're going to read them all, um, but also we're going to take breaks so we can digest some of it. And keep in mind that although a lot of the, term, the terms that you may come across may seem foreign or you may be familiar with it, but I strongly encourage you that these are all symbolic, and I, I want you to encourage you to think about any parallels in your life that is stopping you or preventing you from having that, that relationship with God, okay? So let's start off with, uh, uh, with the first verse. And the very first word is now because it's referencing something that just happened. So the last, the last verse of, of chapter 8 it is the author is saying that God said that the old ways, the old covenant, is obsolete. That's the very, um, chapter 8, verse 13, always are obsolete. Now, it says, the first covenant had regulations for worship and also an earthly sanctuary. One thing I want us to do, I want us all to participate here, okay? So, my memory, as, as I age, my memory be, is tend to lose it. To lose, I, I, want you, I, want to help, I want you all to help me, okay? So there's going to be certain words I want you all to remember because we're going to reference them later on in today's sermon, okay? So the very first phrase or word I want you to remember is earthly sanctuary, okay? Earthly sanctuary. Are you going to help me? Yes. Yes? Okay, all right, all right. Verse 2, a tabernacle was set up in his first room where the, the first room of what? The tabernacle, okay? The t tabernacle. The sanctuary, tabernacle, where the, the lampstand and the table was with its consecrated bread. This was called the holy place. The first room is called the holy place. Don't worry, I have an image. We're going to see, we're going to go through the image, okay? But we have to get to the scriptures first. So we have the first room is the holy place. Verse 3. Behind the second curtain was a room called the most holy place. That's room 2, which had the golden altar... Oh, there's room three. We have the golden altar of incense and the gold cover, gold cover ark of the covenant. The ark contained the gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff that had budded, and the stone tablets of the covenant. Above the ark were the cherubim of, of the glory overshadowing the atonement cover. But we cannot discuss these things in detail now. Next slide. Now, the tabernacle was given specific uh, specifications by the Old Testament. And uh, we're going to, that's why these, these, these specific items were in these specific rooms. And we'll go straight, we'll, we'll, to, we'll discuss that. Verse 6, when everything had been arranged like this, the specific, the specifications, that only, um, uh, the priests entered regularly into the outer room to carry on their ministry. Verse 7, but only... Only the high priest entered into the inner room. That's the second phrase. Only the high priest entered into the inner room. What was the first phase? First, the earthly tabernacle. And I'm sorry, I skipped one. The priest, they call them the mediator, okay? The mediator, the mediator, okay? The, um, um, the mediator was in charge of carrying out this, this ceremony, going into this, tabern going into this uh, sanctuary, carrying out the... The, uh, the, the ceremony for, for the people. So the first one, earthly sanctuary. Second, mediator. Third is a, 
is the high priest entered the inner room, all right? So this is what it looks like. Uh, last verse, the Holy Spirit was shown by this that the way into the most holy place had not been disclosed as long as the first tabernacle was still functioning. If you look, go to the next slide, this is what the, the sanctuary looked like. So you have, here you have a, a veil that goes into the holy place. And, uh, and in the first five chapters, it talked about each aspect, the Ark of the Covenant, everything. Um, uh, it, it looks, this is how it looks. So keep in mind, this was in like a, a wilderness. It's like a, it's, it was outside. But this place was built in the specific specifications that God gave uh, uh, Moses. To Moses um, in the Old Testament. And uh, uh, it's in, um, I think, Exodus, you know, in, the middle, in the middle of Exodus. Um, but this is what, these are the, spec the specifications. Uh, I think these should be made available if you want to zoom in later and you want to, identify each one, verse for by verse. Um, but uh, as verse, I think uh, uh, it, it talked about, I think verse 6, it talked about the second veil. And what happens after the second veil? It's the most holy place. And what happens here in the most holy place? The priest enters alone in order to make a, a sacrifice. And it's believed that in making a sacrifice, a um, that God came down and spiritually um, uh, connected with him at that one time. And this happens how often? Once a year. Okay? And that's the fourth phrase. How often does it happen? The frequency. Once a year. All right. So let's go on to the next one, verse 8. First, is it verse 8? Verse 9? Uh, verse 9. This is an illustration of the present time, indicating that the gifts and the sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshiper. So what just happened? Despite this process that the priest will go into this tabernacle, offer up the sacrifice for the sake of the people, and once a year for the sake of himself and the people, it did not do what? Clear their conscience. So despite... Um, so um, going to verse 10, they, were, they are only a matter of food and drink and various ceremonial washings, external regulations applying until the time of the new order. Uh, if, you ever, um, if you ever study the Old Testament, it's, um, uh, there's, a, there's a saying that the, the, I'm going to butcher this. The Old Testament is the New Testament. It's, 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 it's the... Is a foreshadow of the New Testament, and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed? I think that's, yes? It's something close to that. It's basically saying that what happened in the Old Testament is preparing you all for, prepare them for the, what happened in the New Testament. And the New Testament is pointing back to the Old Testament. And so what I found in studying this is a, is a great practice. If you go back and study this, uh, we're reading, uh, you already know what we're going to talk about next week, Hebrews 10, and then 11 and 12, right? So it's be a great practice as you're studying, as Hugh said, study along with us, read along with us, and when you see a reference to the Old Testament, go back and find it, and then you see a broader context. I read this chapter like 30 times, maybe more than that, and it wasn't until the 31st time when I started looking back and referencing specific aspects of the chapter, my eyes began to open like, wow, okay, now I understand why they do the specific things uh, during this chapter. 
So I, I, I'm sorry, I got too excited. Where were we? Where, where were we? Verse 11? All right, thank you. But when Christ, as high priest, okay, here's the second set of, of, of words to remember. The first set, we were talking about the earthly tab tabernacle. We talked about the mediator. We talked about the frequency in which he, fourthly, went into the inner um, room. Now, here's the second set. And we're going to, again, we're going to, refer, we're going to refer back to this. But now we're not talking about the earthly process anymore. We're talking about a more golden, more heavenly process that Jesus went through, right? All right, so verse 11. But when Jesus came as high priest, that's the first one to remember, of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect, secondly, tabernacle that is not made with human hands. Tabernacle that is not made with human hands means it's not earthly, okay? That is to say, it is not part of, the, of creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves. That's what they use as, uh, uh, as a sacrifice and to generate the blood. But he entered the most holy place once for all. Once for all. That's the third phrase. Once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining the fourthly eternal salvation. So what's the four things that we're going to remember about this heavenly process? One, who is the person? He's the high priest, Jesus. One. Two, he entered into a tabernacle that is not earthly. Thank you. Thirdly, he entered how many times? Once. Once a year? Once and for all, okay? And then fourthly, uh, uh, he, by doing this, he, uh, obtained, he, obtained, he did it for obtaining eternal redemption. All right? And then verse 13, we have one last one to remember, and we're going to find it in these next two scriptures. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially clean, sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. So sacrificing those animals only helps so that they're hourly clean. Uh, how much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the, the eternal uh, spirit offer himself unblemished to God, cleanse our conscience internally, cleanse our conscience from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. So this is not one of the things that I scheduled to remember, but it, it's so vital to, to know that in those two verses, verses 13 and 14, verse 13 talks about how the goats and the bulls and the blood from them help them to be externally clean. Whereas the second more perfect process uh, helped them, help us to cleanse our conscience. So if we go to, back to the ceremony, the ceremony typically went through three phases, right? And uh, like I said, there, there's... If you, you can revert back to the Old Testament to see different aspects of it, uh, of the, the, the ceremony, but the purpose, the, the steps, essentially the priest will have um, something that is sacrificed. So in order for it to be sacrificed, it must go through a, like a, um, a dying phase, if you want to say, for lack of better terms. It must, it must die. And think, think about this. Think about how the, this metaphor, what it relates to, okay? The death must, ha must happen. And in order for the death must happen, what, uh, what oozes out? Blood. 
you know, blood is like the symbolic of life. Uh, a symbolic of life. And one, one more thing I, I, I neglected to mention is that you don't just sacrifice anything, do you? You don't even have to read this chapter or any previous chapters to answer this next question. If you were going to sacrifice, if they were going to sacrifice an animal, do they sacrifice any animal that's 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 may have that may be totally dirty or or what do they what do they what, if you were to instruct them to act, if you were to answer the question what the, to describe the type of animal that's been sacrificed you would say what perfect unblemished something pure. And in, in some instances, they'll, they'll have a, um, a bull that, is, that has never gone through uh, a birth, uh, like having a child. So they want it to be a, a pure vessel. Keep, keep, uh, keep in mind the metaphor that's going on, okay? It has to be a pure vessel that must die, and, and through the death, the blood must be shed, right? And it's in that blood that we all believe that blood is what's essential to life. If the blood was to be taken out of you, what would happen? You would die. You need your blood. It's vital. To, it's, it's symbolic to life. Okay. So the blood in itself, when it's sprinkled as they would do, onto the altar and onto the people, is essentially saying they're they're thinking that their sins is being cleansed, but it's only doing what? Externally cleansing them. All right. And, 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 and that's, um, that's symbolic to the, the next covenant, where something, a vessel came that is pure, did not sin at all. In Hebrews 4 say that, and it says it many other times in, in the scriptures. He came, he, he was tempted, but he did not succumb to it. He was a pure vessel. And then what must happen? He must die. And it's in his death, what happened? What dripped? His blood. All right? His blood. And what, what, do we, what do we get from that? Life. Amen. Praise God. All right. So this Old Testament foreshadowed what was to come. And when it happened in the New Testament, what did it do? It looked back and said, this is what I was referring to. I mean, this right here is what I was referring to back there in the Old Testament. All right? So let's continue. You won't have to help me with my time because sometimes I embellish and you got to slow me down. All right. So there's uh, many different scripture references that to back up uh, what we were just talking about. Um, and I, I added those uh, for you to review. Um, but if we continue on to 15, we'll see that, um, that um, it's referencing how Christ is uh, like the fitting mediator for what we just discussed in, in uh, 13 and 14. Specifically 14, he said, For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise, promise eternal inheritance. Now that, now that he has died as a ransom to set, free, set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant, in this case of will, it is necessary to prove the death of the one who made it. Um, uh, I'm glad uh, Hugh mentioned this um, a few services back. If you go to our website, you can actually re-listen to some of the sermons. But he mentioned the importance of uh, uh, the, the difference between a will and inheritance. So you can go back, you can look at that. But in order for a will to come into effect, this verse said, 
that a death must be confirmed. And because a will is enforced only when somebody has died. It, n it never takes effect while the one who made it is, li is living. Right? Verse 18, this is why even the first covenant was not put into effect without blood. 19, when Moses had proclaimed every command of the law to the people, he took the blood of cows together with water, scarlet wool, and branches of hyssop, and sprinkled the, the scroll and all the people. He said, this is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you to keep. In the same way, he sprinkled the blood, the tap, uh, the, the blood, he sprinkled with the blood both the tabernacle and everything used in the ceremonies. And last verse before we go and break, the, break it down, the old verses is new. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleaned with blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. All right, so I told you my memory is bad. I hope your memory is better than mine. Um, if not, I have, a, I have a slide for us to go through. All right, so here's, here's the difference between the two. It would have been nice. If, I, wish, I wish I had um, like extra help with the PowerPoint because it would have been nice to, to quiz you all on your memory, to go line by line have one pop up and say, what, was the, what, did we, what were we supposed to remember? But um, I don't have that. So the first one was the mediator. There's two different mediators. They both refer to as high priest. But one is somebody who is rotated in and out. It's not the same person every single time. All right? Whereas in this, the second covenant, there's how many people? One. one. There is no interchanging that this person gets tired or this person is not up to it. If he's sick, it's not going to be a different person. This is one person once in, oh, I don't want to get ahead to my, ahead of myself. Jesus, yes. Two, the tabernacle. One was earthly. The other one was not made by humanly hands, which means it was not earthly. If um, in, in the next chapter, in, I think in, in chapter 12, it actually refer, references if, if um, the earth was to shake. I mean, if in... I don't shake the microphone. It's heads up for those who speak next. If the earth was to shake, there would be things that would fall off, like the earthly tabernacle. But there's a earth, there's a tabernacle that would never fall off, and it's referencing the heavenly one. Okay. So in ver and number three, the bloodshed. Bloodshed is vital to uh, to, cer uh, to ceremonies. No matter what ceremony you t you're referring to. But in this case, it said blood is not, um, forgiveness does not happen without the shedding of blood. And this, and, um, so you, you have animals versus the shedding of blood of Jesus. All right. The fourth one, one uh, happened, uh, the frequency happened once every year. It actually happened more frequently, but the big one uh, where the, the priest sacrificed um, uh, um, an animal for himself and everybody else happened once a year. Whereas the one the, the second more better covenant happened once for all. It's finite. It's, it's not an ellipsis at the end. It's not a dot, dot, dot. It happened and it won't, it, it, it's, it's done and it's over. And last but not least, um, what's the end result? The end result, they both believe that it, happened, it accomplished the end, the same goal. But in the end, the sprinkling of the blood, it only temporarily, um, it, it's only temporarily uh, helpful. Whereas one, it clears you and cleans you internally. 
And the best illustration I had as I was going through this, I said, how can I best illustrate how this, um, if I can try to get into their shoes and try to understand what, um, what it was going through, it, and uh, bear with me on this analogy, okay? But if you were to take a shower, and um, you, thoroughly, you, you thoroughly clean, you step out the shower, and you, you put deodorant on, you put perfume or clone on, you put spices, and you do your, do form, your hair. Seven days later, if you go without doing it again, it's going to be time to redo that process. In fact, it will be time to do it much sooner than that. But in that initial phase, you will feel cleansed, right? You will feel so clean. But that will wear us off after a while, and you have to do it again. Well, in the, imagine being internally cleansed to the point where it doesn't wear off, and it's always there. You will still experience some external things, but that, that, that internal cleansing is there and is forever, right? It doesn't have to be repeated. I don't want to totally discount the, the first covenant. Um, God actually told uh, Moses, you know, this is what you should do. And he actually blessed, the, and blessed them during that time, that time period. But um, it, a, a new order was in place. And uh, as a matter of fact, um, uh, in Romans, the, the, the verse that we always, um, that we as believers always ask uh, non-believers to to state is if you is the Romans verse about confessing with your mouth. It says uh, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart uh, that God um, raised from the dead, He would be saved. And in that, and as I was going through this, I was thinking, oh my goodness, like if you in believing that and stating that, if you really believe it, if you really think about it, you're actually talking about the sacrifice that we're talking about in this chapter. You're confessing that, um, that, um, that he died on the cross. And the purpose of him dying on the cross was, it was it, the, the atonement of, uh, he did it for the atonement of our sins. And you're, you're actually confessing that. And, I'm, I, and I was like, oh, wow, like, how did I skip over that? But, um, but yeah, just, just think about that as the next time you're, you're helping a friend or if you haven't taken that, that pledge yet, uh, you, you will have opportunity later. But just think about, like, you're actually confessing that this actually happened and you believe that this happened and in that case you're turning you can be turning cleanse forever no redoing the process all right we can continue uh, with the the scriptures in, in verse 23 it was necessary it was necessary then for the copies of heavenly things to be purified with these sacrifices but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these for Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself, now to appear before us in God's presence. Um, I'm often reminded when we reference the copies of something um, better. Uh, I reminded when I was when I was small, and my mother had. Uh, um, uh, a catering business, and we would uh, we had the opportunity to meet some some famous people, and there was this one actor who held this big event with this big table or front, 
and uh, and I was able to get a signature, right? It's 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 um, what do you call it? Not the signature, but autograph. I knew I got it with an A. I even did. Okay, it was an autograph, and he wrote it on like a memo paper. Um, we used to have these pink memo papers right next to the phone, and he wrote it on the back of that. And so I thought it was a brilliant idea um, to take it home. I was very young, maybe seven. Uh, to take it home and then have um, to put it, lay it on top of a piece of paper. I mean, lay a piece of paper on top of it and then rewrite his signature. Grab a newspaper piece of paper, put it on top of the pink memo paper, and sign his signature. And this do and made photo made essentially photocopies. And so that when all the employees came, they always came back to my mom's house afterwards, and we debriefed. And I, I, when it came in, my sister and I thought it would be a great idea to pass these out as they walked into the house. And in this, we thought that what we were giving was just as good as the, the official uh, signature. But as you all know, the value of a copy is not the, does not equate to the value of the real thing, right? And so what, what verse 23 and 24 was just saying is that um, the, the, the initial covenant was a copy of something that's much better um, and more heavenly than it. All right. Last three verses, and then we'll wrap it up. You ready? Verse 25, nor did he enter heaven uh, to offer himself again and again. He did it how many times? Once. Thank you. The way that high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood, that is not his own. Otherwise, Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. Let me reread re that. Think about that. Um, nor did he enter, nor did he, um, Jesus, enter heaven uh, to offer himself again and again. The way the high priest entered the most holy place every year with blood that is not his own. Otherwise, Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But he has appeared once for all at the culmination of ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment. So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many and he will appear a second time. Not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. So to, to conclude, how should, we re, how should we respond to this good news? Well, realize, as I said at the outset of this, um, this uh, sermon, um, uh, there are many things, if you think about the parallels between the process and how we thought um, that that will do something for us, uh, it's only temporal. Uh, so if, when it comes to volunteering, it's a great thing to do. And it may provide a, a, a great inner feeling, but it's temporal. If giving money to the poor, it's a great thing to do. I strongly encourage it, but that alone it's not going it's, it's, it's to help you internally, but it's going to wear off. Styling your hair. It's going to help you. It's going to give you a, a certain a feeling and identity. But what's going to happen? It's temporal, and it's going to slowly wear off. So these parallels, uh, or whatever parallel in your own life that you thought about, it's only temporal. 
the only way to have an eternal cleansing is to firmly grasp the second covenant and believe that uh, God needed to offer his son um, as a sacrifice. Um, I can't help myself. I started reading ahead, and I stopped on one scripture. And I said, oh, wow, like, that is so awesome. And in verse 28 of chapter 12, uh, it gave us a perfect response to this message. It said, how do, uh, how, so how, it says, therefore, Hebrews 12, 28, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptable, acceptably with reverence and awe. Amen. With reverence and awe. And, and that's another thing is, uh, as I dig, dug deeper into those two words, I had a newfound meaning when I said those two words. Uh, in reverence, and, uh, again, we're closing here. Reverence is talking about, the, it's, like a, um, it's like a feeling or attitude of deep respect tinged with awe. It's, it's like an outward manifestation of that feeling. Um, it's an overwhelming feeling of reverence uh, or admiration. Um, and then, but it's, uh, but it's essentially esteem for a sense of worth or excellence of a person. Esteem for a sense of worth or excellence of a person. And it's, it's expressed hourly. And as, as I say reverence and awe, and I say it over reverence and awe and reverence, I'm like, oh, wow, like so magnificent. And I lifted my hands, and I'm like, oh, wow, like I didn't, I didn't realize I was lifting my hands. And I'm thinking, like, what if I worship like this? What if I pray if, if during worship, I actually worship like this, like in reverence and awe? And you think of, if you think about what, he, what he's coming back to do, like you should worship in reverence and awe. And that's what I encourage you to do. And, uh, you know, you may find it um, extremely difficult, but just keep that um, lodged into, into your mind and, and strongly consider whatever barrier there is in your life uh, that may have that may prevent you from moving forward uh, and having that deeper relationship with God, understand, don't revert back to it. Understand what we have here now and celebrate it in reverence and awe. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you so much um, for all those that are here today, um, both virtually and in person. I ask that you bless each and every one of them well, whatever we thought about as we um, heard your words today, I pray that you help us to deal with those things, that we don't revert back to them as the single thing that is given us that, that, inter that, that temporal satisfaction. But Lord, I pray that we rest and hold on to what you're given us that will last forever. I thank you for doing that. I thank you in advance for doing that. It is in your precious name, Lord God, we pray. Amen.